The second coming of Jesus Christ will impact the world with a stark reality. Whatever you're experiencing now should be framed in your mind by the undeniable reality of Jesus' coming. It will be sudden, unavoidable, universally public, and glorious. Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life, a ministry of the International Outreach Church Partnership Evangelism. Go to traincpe.org to learn more about how you can help us reach lost people around the world by raising up evangelists in every place. Or go to breadoflifeboise.org to learn about our missions fellowship here in Boise, Idaho. Now to God's Word. We're considering what Jesus taught in the Olivet Discourse from Matthew chapter 24, verses 27-31. through 31. There he presents the stark realities of his coming. These realities of what is definitely ahead for us all should bring into focus how we look at and live our lives in the present. What we do now and think now should reflect our keen awareness of what is coming to this earth one day when Jesus returns. Here's another thing we read here. There is a stark reality of devastating judgment, and it is catastrophic. There is the stark reality of devastating judgment, and it is catastrophic. This coming of the Lord Jesus to earth as lightning crossing across the sky is also described for us in Revelation chapter 19. Take your Bibles and turn there. Let's juxtapose the two together. Revelation chapter 19, let me read to you verses 11 through 16, and here is a description of the coming of the Lord Jesus at the end of the age. John is having this vision. John is seeing this. And by the way, Revelation is traditionally understood to have been written in about 92 A.D., so about 22 years after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. John writes this, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, as you see, as you read this passage, when Christ returns, he's coming in this conspicuous fashion. He's coming as a warrior to wreak his final justice and judgment upon the earth. We have to think about this for a moment. We can't take our eyes away from it. It's hard for me, by the way, to look at individuals getting injured. When I was in my 20s, I, on two different occasions, severed ligaments in both of my legs. It was a rather painful experience. So now, when I'm watching a sporting event and some athlete injures himself and then they go to show a slow motion scene of what happened to them, I can't look. I always cover my eyes. My children make fun of me. They laugh at me because I cannot bring my eyes to look at them going through that experience and that suffering. It's, we have to be careful. We are forced here and we must look squarely at the unavoidable images that are coming down upon this earth one day in the future. And... Yet, as we look at it, we almost are right to avert our eyes. 
it would be best for us to at least put our hands over our eyes a bit. We should take no pleasure in what we read here. At any point in time in our lives, we should not look as if we have some eagerness to see this destruction visited upon the earth. There are individuals who read these last day things and they almost read it as if it's another great apocalyptic novel, like they're reading some comic strip of some great and horrific event that's taking place and they find some entertainment in it and it answers some sense of curiosity or just idly looking upon it. This is real. This is genuine. This is awful and this is powerful and we must be careful how we look at it. We cannot take any pleasure. We got to remember that Jesus wept over Jerusalem when he pronounced its coming destruction. We might want to recall that in Ezekiel 33:11, God says this, As I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure at all in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. So as we look on and as we pay attention to and we see this hour of judgment that's coming upon all the earth, we should pray for a spirit of repentance even in that hour and for mercy to those who meet it even in that hour. I believe that is the divine and holy response to these things This is not a place, this is not a moment, this is not a text over which you should look with any sense of idle curiosity and interest. It should be sobering to us. It should remind us that this day is real. It's not theoretical. It should clear our heads and our minds. It should turn us into prayers of, oh God, have mercy, and oh God, grant repentance. Here is what the Lord Jesus says in reference to this day of his coming. Here's what he says in our passage. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. You see that? For wherever the carcass is, there will, the, the word is, the vultures will be gathered together. This is what he says. After he comes like lightning, he gives this next declaration, this next description of this moment. Wherever the carcasses lie, there the vultures will be. And we have to press back into Revelation chapter 19. I told you to stay there. We just read down to verse, from verse 11 to verse 16. Now we must read on to see what it is that the Lord Jesus is referring to. And John gives us a further vision, and this is the revelation of Jesus Christ as well. What John writes is, John is simply recording to us the revelation that the Lord Jesus gave him at this time, clarifying and bringing more information on the words he gave in this statement of what we call the Olivet Discourse. In verse 17, then, John writes this, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. Christ has now returned. He has emblazoned upon his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. His robe is dripped in blood. Out of his mouth comes this sharp sword. Then he writes, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in midheaven, Come assemble for the great feast of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all people, both free and slaves and small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who had performed signs in his presence by which he had deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, that's the Antichrist, and those who worshipped his image, those who gave in to the deception. And these two were thrown alive in the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Jesus says, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will be. When I come and return in this great conspicuous fashion, 
I'm bringing this awful judgment with me. That's what's coming upon the earth. Again, take your Bibles and turn to Revelation 6, verses 12 through 17. I'm not inclined to give much commentary to these things. They should speak for themselves. Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17, also gives us a description of this day that's described for us in, in Isaiah 34, and what we've read of this description of the coming of the Lord Jesus in Revelation chapter 19. Here we read at the end of the age, again, this description, verse 12 of Revelation 6. Let me read this. Here it is. There was a great earthquake, and the sun became as black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth, as a fig tree drops its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the eminent people, and the commanders, and the wealthy, and the strong, and every slave and free person hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the sight of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? You'll notice in the awful hour in which God brings this judgment that the people are still not seeking God. They're not turning to God, but they run from God and they hide from God. You'll notice that they don't turn to cry out to be covered in the provision that God has made for them for their sins, but instead they call for the rocks and the caves to come upon them. Earlier on in these accounts, we'll read that during this great tribulation period, those saints of God are forced to rush and hide in the caves from the torment that they bring upon them and find their hiding places, and they're warned to do so. But now at the end of the age, those who pursued them and sought to persecute them will run to the caves themselves. Not in God's direction, not in responding to God, but fleeing from him and from his presence. And they'll persist in the rebellion so long that they'll seek only to have the rocks destroy them, lest they turn to face the one who's coming for them and coming in judgment. It's an interesting thing, though, as you look through the book of Revelation and you see the various plagues that are pronounced upon the land during the Great Tribulation, that you'll find very often that in the midst of it, God is pausing and listening for the note of repentance, the end of the various judgments that he brings. So you'll read, for example, in Revelation 9, of a plague that will come, or a series of plagues that will come. In one place it says three plagues, in one place it says one plague. But it's a plague that ultimately results in the death of one-third of the world's population in a very short period of time. A pandemic, a pestilence that will come through all the land. And then at the end of that time, here's what we read. God is listening in. in Revelation 9.20, we read this. After one-third of the human population has died, it says the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. But God was listening for it. God was listening for the cry of their repentance, but it did not come. You go to Revelation chapter 16, and it describes another judgment of a scorching heat that will come. It's almost like an atomic heat that will come upon the people and burn many of the people. And then after this great judgment comes, and even in the midst of the judgment, we read in Revelation 16 verse 9, it says this, And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. Repentance and a cry for mercy evokes the rescue of God, and it's the cry of repentance that brings glory to God. And God was listening for it there too. But he did not hear the cry of repentance. 
And when he comes in the last moment, we are told that they will flee to the rocks and they'll cry out to the rocks. Not to God, they'll cry out to the rocks to hide them from his presence. They'll continue to flee away from them. When Christ was hanging upon the cross, we know that there were two criminals that were hanging next to him. And one of those criminals, in the midst of his suffering, went on to revile Christ even as he was dying on the cross. The other one said, let's not revile him. He is an innocent man, but we're getting what we deserve. And that man turned to Christ and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord Jesus heard in his words a cry of repentance. Lord, remember me. I need your mercy. I need you to remember me. And Jesus said to that man, in that hour, in that moment, and think of the tremendous suffering and agony he was experiencing as he's dying, hanging upon a cross. Lord Jesus said, this day you'll be with me, and this very day you'll be with me in paradise. Christ was listening for the cry of repentance and mercy. Upon it, he was ready to release upon that man complete and utter forgiveness and rescue, even in that terrifying hour. But on this day, the body of those who with unrelenting hearts have defied and denied him will be heaped up upon the earth. They see him come and they hide. They don't call out to him. As we've said, they call upon the rocks to cover them. They prefer destruction to surrender and destruction is what they'll get. Church Partnership Evangelism has developed a new book and a new website. It's devoted towards preparing professing Christians to meet the judge. Go to savingevangelicals.com to learn more. This has been the Bread of Life. To support this radio ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may God bless you.